Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Namihi nui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. Climate change is here now and its impacts will get worse unless we do what we can to curb greenhouse gas emissions. That's the message from a report published by the Royal Society of New Zealand this week. Here's James Renwick, a climate scientist at Victoria University of Wellington, who chaired the panel of experts who wrote the report. When you look at the, the risks and look at the dangers around climate change, look at the observations, it's really clear that significant action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is really an urgent problem. We can already see climate change affecting New Zealand and how much worse it gets depends very much on what we do in the short term. The report highlights six areas where New Zealand will be most directly and severely affected by climate change, including more frequent extreme weather, more communities at risk from damaging floods and droughts, distorted ecosystems on land and in the ocean, climate-driven extinctions and disrupted trade relations. James Renwick says with most of us living along the coast or on floodplains, rising sea levels will affect us all. I meet him at Wellington's Wharf to see one of the tidal gauges that has been tracking the rise of the oceans for more than a century, with Ian Dore from Greater Wellington. We're standing here on the outer tee at Queen's Wharf behind Shed 1 and Greater Wellington Regional Council has a tide gauge monitoring room here and I'm just going to take you through that door to show you inside that room. Thank you. This tide gauge is basically known as a stilling well system and all it is essentially is a square tube that runs through the jetty into the water and underneath the bottom of this tube there's a, a gap which allows the water in, which measures the water in real time. And the whole point of that is that it's, meant, it's called a stilling well because it's meant to dampen down that wave slop that you get. So it's just a little quieter than you It's a little bit quieter, but it measures the, the basic still water level, essentially. Now, on the bottom of that... Can um, I just have a we, quick look inside? If we pop our head in that hole, you can see at the bottom of that um, there's essentially a float which sits on the water surface. Attached to that float there is a wire which runs up through a little pulley with a counterweight on that. And as the water rises up and down, that float moves up and down on that water surface. And as it does, it turns a wee pulley, and you can see the pulley here next to a wee data logger. And that every increment that that wire moves around that pulley is calibrated to a measurement uh, inside that logger. So it can measure to one millimetre accuracy on the water surface. Um, and that data is all stored um, in a database, which can then be interrogated and pulled out and analysed. Uh, to look at longer-term sea level trends as well. Which is what I was keen to hear from you, really, because this tidal gauge has been here for how long? More than a century? That's right. So we've had permanent measurements of sea level and tides on Queen's Wharf since 1901. So over 115 years we've had continuous measurement. There, there was a period between 1891 and 1893 where there was where there was some hand measurements made, and there's a dusty old leather-bound tome in the back of the archives that has uh, recorded daily measurements of the tide. But the, the, this particular 
um, location has had over 115 years of measurements. Um, and that's a pretty good record to analyse long-term trends in sea level with. What you'd be seeing here is the regional changes in sea level. What has happened in the Wellington area? So we've had the data analysed back to including the, the data from 1891 to 1893, but particularly from 1901, we've had that data analysed. And what it shows is that over the long term, there's been a consistent rise in sea level of 2.1 millimetres per annum. Interestingly, that's one of the higher rates, highest rates of all the main ports in New Zealand. So the, a similar analysis has been run in Auckland um, and Littleton and Ports of Otago down in Dunedin, and they all show a consistent upward trend of around about 1.7 millimetres per annum, which is in line with the global rate of sea level rise. But the rate for Wellington is slightly more. So close to 20 centimetres now over that century? That's right, exactly. And even since they set the, the vertical datum, which is used for surveying and navigation purposes, we've had to add 20 centimetres to the mean sea level that was measured at that time for when we're doing surveying and, and navigation. So that's a significant rise in sea level over that period of time. You mentioned that there was an average of 2.1 millimetres a year, mm -hmm. but is it a steady increase at that rate per year, or has the, the actual rate of increase changed? So the, there are a number of influences that um, feed into uh, the mean sea level. You can have um, daily changes through the tides. Um, you can have monthly variations in the cycle of the moon. You can have longer-term climatic influences on what the water level does. For example, if you have an El Nino or a La Nina event, that can influence what the, what the water level is doing around the country, anything up to 20 centimetres. And you can also have influences from season to season. So when the water's cold, it's a little bit denser and heavier. The sea level will go down a little bit. So you can pick up even those... Um, variations from season to season. What we find is that on the longer term, once you extract out all those particular variables, um, there's this overlay of a gently rising sea level on top of that um, of around 2.1 millimetres per annum. Do you know at all why Wellington would be different to other parts of the coast? So the Wellington region has got a slightly higher rate of sea level rise because when you measure sea level, it's a relative thing. You have to take into consideration what the sea level, what the mean sea level is doing, but also what the land surface is doing. GNS Science operate what's called a continuous GPS monitoring network all around New Zealand, and that's measuring to very, very fine detail what the land surface is doing. And they do that so we can measure changes in vertical elevation, for example, around the Alpine Fault. We can measure the rise of the Southern Alps. And around Wellington, what that shows is that the whole lower part of the North Island is subsiding very slowly um, at rates of about half to three millimetres per annum. And for Wellington, um, over the last 15 years since I've had the network in place, it's been subsiding at around 1.7 millimetres per annum. So if you recall, um, the rate of average sea level rise is about 1.7. So effectively, around the Wellington region, we have the sea level rising and we have, this, uh, we have the land surface going down. So when you average that over a long period of time, it shows that our rate of sea level rise in relative terms is higher than other parts of the country. I think sea level rise is one of the biggest issues associated with climate change. And for thousands of years, um, while civilizations have developed, sea levels have been static, essentially. We've got very used to the idea that we can build near the coast and we know where the tide line is. And in the last hundred or more years, that started to change. So 
it's a big adjustment for people everywhere. And this century, well, we've had 20 centimetres or so of sea level rise measured here at the tide gauge. For the rest of the century and into the next century, we're expecting 70, 80, 100 centimetres a metre, possibly quite a lot more depending on what the Antarctic ice sheets um, get up to in the, the reasonably near future. So that, that's a huge shift. And Ian mentioned that the tidal range here in Wellington is uh, 0.85 of a metre, 85 centimetres. And that's well within the range of what we expect in terms of sea level rise this century. So the high tide mark now will be the low tide mark in the future if we get that much rise. And of course the tides will <laughs> continue happening. So uh, beaches will move inland and they'll stay about the same width they are now. So if you think about that, if you're living near a beach, imagine um, the beach all moving in, the width of the beach basically. So that could be pretty significant. There's a lot of roads, a lot of houses, a lot of public infrastructure built close to the ocean and we're going to have to confront how we deal with that. The implications are too that whatever happens with weather or you know, king tides will play out on a higher sea level. Exactly, yeah. So it's not just the mean level of the ocean. Uh, when you get a storm sitting on top of a given sea level, there's what's called the inverse barometer effect. Low pressure in the atmosphere in a storm actually pulls the surface of the ocean up, and that can be quite significant on a day-to-day basis. So you've got that effect. Then you've got the the force of the winds driving waves, so you've got waves, and as they move up towards shallower water, you know, the, the waves steepen and so on. So you add all those things up and the, the storm surge on top of the sea level can be significantly higher and penetrate much further inland, even with quite a small uh, rise in sea level, and that's, that's one of the major concerns. In the report you identified six areas of significant implications of that coastal implications or coastal impacts is the first. Is that because it's the most significant? It makes sense to put sea level rise first in the report because it is one of the biggest problems we face and it's one of the hardest to deal with. Like I was saying, we've got very used to the sea level being where it's been and we've built a lot of roads and so on near the coast and we we are going to have to adjust to that. Already you see inundation on Tamaki Drive, some of the roads around Auckland when there's a king tide Um, and that's just going to keep happening more and more and more. It's surprising how quickly the uh, chances of inundation events go up as sea level rises. You know, With half a metre of sea level rise the one in a hundred year inundation event becomes an annual event or maybe even more frequently than that at a lot of places around New Zealand. And again that's a reflection of the, the tidal range. If the tidal range in a given place is somewhere between half a metre and one metre, you know, moving the whole sea level up that much. It's just huge in terms of how often you can have a king tide or a storm surge event at a given place. So it, it, in terms of human settlements, in terms of the cost of possible damage to infrastructure and so on, it is one of the major issues. And it's a really inexorable issue. Sea levels have been rising gradually for over 200 years now and whatever we do, even if we turned off all the emissions tomorrow, sea levels would continue to rise uh, half a metre or so at least. Uh, It takes a long time for the heating that's already gone into the ocean to percolate right down to the bottom and for the ice sheets and so on to adjust to the extra warming. So we know there's 
probably a couple of centuries more sea level rise regardless. Most New Zealanders live either along the coast or along rivers. So in one way or another, the changes to sea level, changes to the ocean, changes to weather systems, rain, will affect just about everybody. Changes to water, where it is, how it's distributed, you know, when the rain falls, how much falls, what river levels are, and sea level, those things are what affect all of us the most, and water's vital for life, of course. So whether there's enough to drink and to use on our farms, uh, these are all huge issues. So if you look at, uh, for instance, the Hutt River here in the Wellington region, there have been major floods in the Hutt uh, in recent years. 2004 was a big flooding event there, and parts of Lower Hutt just went under quite a lot of water. So we, we don't want to see that happening to our towns and cities that are close to rivers, so it's it's another big issue. Do we have ways of protecting ourselves against those things by, for instance, building large stock banks, or do we have to think hard about whether we live where we're living at the moment? And that's a, that's a pretty tough question. Can you talk me through some of the other areas that you have identified in the report? We do have six areas that we've focused on for this report and and it's not exhaustive you know we didn't want to write an encyclopedia we did want to focus on a few areas that are, are very important and carry significant risks for New Zealand so beyond coasts and rivers water features in another two themes uh, fresh water and uh, changes in the oceans themselves so the fresh water theme is around water availability really and uh, this is already a major issue in an area like Canterbury where there's been uh, major intensification of dairying, big increases in demand for irrigation, water for irrigation but also growing demand for urban uh, water supplies and then there's energy generation, you know, hydroelectricity, uh, recreational uses and so on and already in some parts of Canterbury and other parts of the country uh, water is over-allocated and if we get into a situation where it becomes drier then that's going to be another major problem. And for instance in Canterbury itself uh, it is expected to become drier. It's, it's pretty well established that uh, as the westerly winds in the southern hemisphere rise gradually which is what's expected over the next hundred years and more Canterbury, which is in the rain shadow of the Southern Alps, will become a bit drier. Plus, it's warmer, so evaporation is is easier to do. So soil moisture levels are set to keep going down on average in Canterbury, which will put more stress on water supplies, especially water for irrigation for agriculture. Now, at the same time that's happening, there should be more rain falling in the Southern Alps. So the big rivers that flow across Canterbury may well have more water in them more often. But that's a seasonal thing. That works pretty well in the spring, say, winter and spring. But in the summer, where people and farmers need the water the most, the likelihood is that uh, flows may actually be lower than they are now. So that could be a really big stress point for agriculture for the economy for people who live especially in Canterbury and perhaps the eastern part of the North Island. And going on the other water theme really is the ocean and that's talking about uh, changes in ocean chemistry particularly. So one of the consequences of carbon dioxide increase in the atmosphere 
is that a good fraction of that carbon dioxide, about a third or so, is absorbed into the oceans. And as that gets absorbed, there's a reaction that uh, turns it into carbonic acid. So the um, acidity of uh, ocean waters is gradually increasing. And that has all sorts of risks for uh, marine life, essentially. Increasing acidity of ocean waters and again, warming of the water column, that will change uh, where fish and other marine species like to be because uh, a number of marine organisms are quite temperature sensitive. One degree change in temperature can be a pretty big deal for a particular fish stock if you want to think about fisheries. So uh, the makeup of fisheries around the New Zealand coast is going to change and some of the fisheries we depend on at the moment may be unrecognisable by the end of the century. One of the other sections we cover is um, terrestrial, you know, land-based ecosystems, natural ecosystems in New Zealand, and that's much more visible and um, in a lot of ways is, it gets a lot more press because of it. So some of the iconic uh, species in New Zealand, you know, we have a lot of endemic species, that is creatures, plants that um, live only in New Zealand and a number of those are already stressed and it's not just climate change, it's um, habitat fragmentation, um, introduced pests, uh, land use changes, a whole lot of things but climate change is certainly part of the mix and as all of these things accumulate it becomes harder and harder for uh, what were previously um, self-sustaining natural ecosystems to keep sustaining themselves. The final section that we talk about in this report is the, the so-called international section and it's thinking about what are the, the things that are happening outside of New Zealand that could affect us and the reason we talked about this is because New Zealand is an incredibly internationally connected place. You know, the people ourselves, we travel a lot uh, we export a lot. Our economy is really built around talking to the world. And a major crop failure or uh, another kind of extreme event in one of our major trading partners that would be large enough to cause economic issues there that would have implications for uh, international trade for those countries. So it would have implications for the global economy and for our uh, ability to trade overseas. So. Remote events can definitely have an impact on New Zealand. By the end of the century, I would think we'll be in a very different situation in terms of the way we trade internationally or, or whether we trade much internationally. And, and New Zealand is a very much a bit player in the global economy, so what happens to our major trading partners in terms of their own agricultural viability and economic viability is inevitably going to have big impacts on New Zealand. That was James Renwick, the chair of the Royal Society panel on climate implications. And you also heard from Ian Dore, a policy advisor for hazards at Greater Wellington. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.